This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. If you feel like your tax refund could help propel your family to a better financial future, consider using at least half of your refund for your financial goals then. As for the other half, maximize those family experiences and enjoy yourself. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do three different things. First, we're going to be discussing what to do with your tax refund. That is, if you get one, you know. Second, we're back with our debt-free living segment. This quarter, we're going to be featuring Ian Group from South Florida. Ian crushed over $200,000 of debt over the last decade plus, and he's sharing how he did it. And I think this story would be helpful for a lot of people who are oh, maybe feeling the pile of student loans and just other high interest debt that might be in their lives. And last but not least, my son Calvin is going to be joining me for another good word with all the not so great news out there. We just seem to hear on a daily basis. Calvin and I are going to celebrate some good news because you got to, you know, you got to counteract the good with the bad, right? That's at least our feeling here in the Hill household. All right, let's jump into today's show. So you got a tax refund, eh? What an awesome feeling, man. It feels so good. But the big question is, what to do with said tax refund? The first reaction for those of us who work long hours and are just sick of the winter weather is to plan a tropical vacation. Yes, we're all thinking sunshine, umbrella drinks, and white sandy beaches. I can picture it now. Now, I am all about the tropical vacation, my friends, but it's important to consider some other options that will improve your financial situation first. You don't want to be lying out on that beach thinking about all the unpaid credit card bills you've got. Those Coronas taste a bit sour when they're spiked with guilt. <laughs> With that in mind, here are seven money smart ways to spend your tax refund this year. Number one, eliminate your high interest debt. Yes, if you have credit card bills that are piling up interest month after month, this year's tax refund can help stop the bleeding. Whether you're getting $50 back or $5,000 back, take this moment to begin eliminating debt from your life. My wife, Nicole, and I paid off around $50,000 of debt in one year. And the major reason we were able to do it so fast was by taking advantage of newfound money moments like getting money back on our taxes. If you don't have enough to completely pay off one of your debts, that's totally okay. At least get the process started and begin paying down your smallest debt, like the debt snowball strategy, or the one with the largest interest rate, i.e. the debt avalanche strategy. No matter where you fall on this debt snowball versus debt avalanche debate, just make a debt destruction plan and commit to it. This could be a defining moment for you and your family. Number two, create an emergency fund. 
When the unexpected occurs, like car trouble or when a pipe bursts in your kitchen and floods your entire first floor, coming from experience there, everybody. (laughs) Or job loss. That stinks too. It feels like these emergencies sometimes come out of nowhere. To resolve one of these major life issues, it can feel like we're forced to go further into debt if we don't have the proper savings in place. To avoid this situation in the future, take your tax refund and build up your emergency fund. A great savings goal to shoot for is three months of living expenses. So, for example, if you typically live on $6,000 per month as a family, your goal should be to have $18,000 in a high-yield savings account set aside. This way, you're covered for a decent amount of time if you lose your job or if you need to cover the full deductible for your homeowner's insurance like we just did. (laughs) When you do that, you'll still have plenty of cash left over if your furnace goes out or your alternator breaks in your car. Once your savings has been built up, these emergencies don't feel like emergencies really anymore. Number three, invest for your retirement. Your tax refund may not seem that large today, but it has the potential to become massive through the cosmic wizardry powers of compound interest. Let's say you're 30 years old and you get a $4,000 tax refund this year. You take $3,000 of that refund and put it in your Roth IRA and a S&P 500 index fund like the Vanguard 500 index fund Admiral Shares, which is VFIAX. Not investment advice, everybody, by the way. If you left that $3,000 alone until you're 65 and contributed the same amount each year, you could have around $450,000 adjusted for future inflation. Now, a vacation would be nice, but knowing you have a cushy retirement nest egg building up makes you feel pretty relaxed as well. Number four, pay down your mortgage. If you've eliminated your debt, you've got an emergency fund in place, and you're saving for your retirement, consider taking that extra tax refund and paying down your mortgage. More often than not, homes can be our largest expense. By adding periodic principal payments to your mortgage, you can take a huge bite out of that baby. From experience in making these extra principal payments, the interest savings really does add up fast. For four years straight, we paid down the mortgage principal on our $400,000 house by adding extra monthly payments and lump sum money payments from newfound money moments like tax refunds. We now, today, live mortgage-free in our half a billion dollar home. (laughs) We were thrilled when we were completely debt-free. This opened up so many opportunities for us. Actually, we were so thrilled that we created a mortgage pinata and had our kids destroy it with sticks. And then when the pinata got hit, it broke open and there was candy and coins. It was just a lot of fun. They had a blast. It was literally us showing our kids that when you destroy a large debt, you get treats. You get life treats. (laughs) And speaking of kids, number five, plan for generational wealth. By some estimates, college tuition inflation will increase by an average of 8% per year. That's insane. That's really, I guess that's the definition of insanity. Either way. That means if you want your kids to attend college and not go into massive student loan debt, you're going to want to start investing early. 
Use your tax refund to start a 529 college savings plan for your children. The same principle of compound interest works here as well. The earlier you invest, the more your account can grow. Get started, contribute to the account consistently, and your kids will get a jump start on life because of your money smart moves. After 10 years of investing for my daughter, we now have over $50,000 for her future education costs. Outside of investing for college, you can also invest for your children's future retirement through a custodial Roth IRA. That's with earned income, that is. Or you could invest for their future home ownership with a custodial brokerage account. If you need help with this process, you can check out my new course, Make My Kid a Millionaire. I provide the 10 steps you need to build and protect generational wealth and happiness for your children. You can learn more about that course and try out a free section of the course at makemykidamillionaire.com. Number six, get term life insurance. If your spouse and kids depend on your income to live, you need a life insurance policy. When deciding what to do with your tax refund, consider investing in a term life policy to ensure your loved ones are taken care of in case you die unexpectedly. For most people, I recommend avoiding whole or permanent life insurance policies as you're better off investing those high monthly payments in the stock market. Term life can give you the best coverage and the lowest monthly payments. Get an insurance provider like Quotacy, who can give you quotes from multiple insurance companies and help you see the landscape of what you might be able to pay. You can check them out at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Quotacy. That's Q-U-O-T-A-C-Y, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Quotacy. I'll put the link in the show notes. Number seven, start a business. Have you always dreamed of becoming a successful entrepreneur? Maybe somebody who owns more of their time? Well, building a business takes time, patience, and a little bit of dough. The money you got back on your taxes can be the capital you need to make your new business dreams come true. Find some extra hours in your week to work on your business plan. Think about what your product or service could be, how it will fill a need in the marketplace, and what it takes to make the business a reality. When I started my small business that you're enjoying right now, I took advantage of the 5.30 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. time slot as it was a special time in the morning for growing my business before the kids woke up and I headed off to my full-time job. After years of dedication, I was able to leave my full-time job and now work part-time on my business at 40 years old. This has allowed me to dedicate more of my time to my family, my health, and my hobbies. Once you get in the groove and your business begins to make money, the extra income you'll be earning will help you expand your business and enjoy more of the luxuries life has to offer. In the end, life is short and living for today, it can be fun. But I know I feel a lot more relaxed on vacation when I know my finances are in order. If you feel like you're succeeding in these seven areas that I've shared already, then go on that tropical vacation. You deserve it. If you feel like your tax refund could help propel your family to a better financial future, consider using at least half of your refund for your financial goals then. 
As for the other half, maximize those family experiences and enjoy yourself. Whatever you decide, know that all of these decisions are easier when you have a plan for your money. You can check out our list of the best budget apps for families so you're in control of your money and living the life you've always dreamed of. I'll have that link in the show description as well. Well, enough from our side, everyone. I want to hear from you. Which of these seven ideas are you considering for your tax refund? What do you think is the smart way to spend this tax refund money? Please let me know by sharing this episode on social media and tagging me at Marriage Kids and Money on Instagram or Facebook or at Andy Hill MKM on LinkedIn. Let's keep this conversation going. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. For some people like me, debt can feel like an incredible weight on our shoulders. After carrying this weight for a while, there comes a time when you say, I am done with this. On our debt-free living segment today, we're going to interview Ian Group from South Florida. Ian paid off $200,000 of debt over the last decade. Today, we're going to learn how he accomplished this family financial goal and what he's doing with his money now. Welcome to the show, Ian. Hey, Andy. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely, man. Thank you for being here. And thank you for being transparent on your journey so we can help others who are working on the same issue in their lives. Talk to us about why you wanted to become debt-free in the first place. Well, this was back in 2011. I graduated law school and it's kind of supposed to be this great time in, in your life, right? I just went through this grueling three years of school, the bar exam, and got a job, which was kind of hard back in 2011. So then you, you're, you're like excited, but you get this notice that you now have to pay all of your student loans back. And so I, for a while, felt very resistant to paying it off. I was trying to push it off. I actually, my balance after graduating law school was only $190,000 but I did what's called a forbearance. And if you have student loans right now, you've been somewhat fortunate to be under this student debt-wide forbearance or, or government loan forbearance where they basically just said, you don't have to pay it anymore. But what happened to me was I elected to do that and interest was running. So it was still accruing. Whereas right now, for a lot of people that experienced that COVID loan pause, interest was not still accruing. So they basically take all that interest that accrued, they recapitalize it into the principal balance of the loan, and your balance is higher. Now, I wasn't paying attention to this. I did it twice. So several months where I was, I had this reprieve, but it was really short-sighted because I looked at the balance eventually and just said, oh my God, it's not the 190 that I had when I graduated law school. It's now 210. That was one big shock. I'm in this massive hole and I got to do something about it. And then the other piece of the, oh, and by the way, I also had credit card debt too. So we can, we can talk about, about all the debts if you'd like. Then the second thing was wanting to progress in my life with my relationship with my girlfriend at the time who now we're married. We've got two kids and a third on the way. And I kind of foresaw all that stuff, right? Having a family, wanting a house, wanting a car and all this great stuff and, and fun things in life. And I just saw that debt as a blocker to a lot of it. So those are some pretty big motivations for me at that time. And they remain motivations still. You talked about the debt itself. So you had student loans and then credit card debt. Can you talk to us about how much you had of the two and then how you started to kind of dissect where to start? So the student loans started at 190, ballooned to 210. Credit cards was right around $20,000. The credit card debt was, I would just say, miscellaneous expenses from my time as a student. So for those that don't know this, or maybe you forgot when you were a student, as a student, when you get loans, at least in law school, the way it worked was at the beginning of the semester, the federal government would basically pay your tuition. And then you'd go to the business office to collect your overage check. So that was part of your student loans, money you borrowed that exceeded the amount of your tuition, and you would have that as money to live. So if you borrowed a lot, some people would have these fat checks and they would like go spend it right away, but it was loan money. So I had some of that money. I was never big on like budgeting or being financially savvy back then, which is crazy because I studied business and finance in college, <laughs> so you think, but they don't teach you the basics. So I had this money from student loans that I was using to live, but it wasn't enough. 
especially wasn't enough over the summers when, for example, I did an internship for the Legal Aid Society and their housing division, going to court, representing people that didn't have any money. They didn't pay. So how was I going to afford rent or food? And as a student, you get kind of lazy, right? You want to go out, order pizza, go to the bar. So about 20 grand in expenses that, that racked up over the years. I uh, definitely did not understand what I was getting into with my student loans either. I didn't really get it. And I used a lot of extra student loans to buy things that I wanted in my 20s because I thought it was just sort of an endless check for me. So I definitely took advantage of that. Now, for people who are listening, they're thinking, okay, he went to law school, he took out a lot of loans, you know, but hey, you get that big old six-figure job right out of college to pay it off. So what's the big deal? Was that how much you were making right out of college? Well, out of college, no, out of law school, no. I got a, I was fortunate to get a job, but this was 2011. So the market for lawyers was not great, especially like right out of law school. A lot of the recruiting would happen from the, uh, to the big firms, at least that pay those high six figure salaries would happen. It would would occur really at some of like the, the more top tier law schools. Not saying I didn't go to a great law school, but it wasn't Harvard Law School or Yale, Yale Law School. I went to Albany Law School upstate. Great school, fantastic education and great alumni and support. But I'm from New York City. And so I wanted to go back to New York City. But the New York City firms weren't really hiring from like the schools on the periphery of like the, you know, the first tier. So I was fortunate to get a job. I worked as a clerk for the uh, state of Connecticut, researching and writing for judges. But my salary was like 50 grand. So I did not have that big payoff. And fortunately, like you had said, though, as a lawyer, I have a credential and a license, which can result in earning a lot of money. And I did leverage that to get higher paying jobs over the years. But it's not a given, right? It's not a given in any industry to get high paying jobs. And plenty of lawyers don't make a lot of money, too. So I think whatever you do, you need to kind of have that drive to to strive for more. That actually was something that significantly helped me in my debt payoff journey, not around income. We were talking about income, you being around that $50,000 mark. I'm assuming this amount of money that you owed in the multi-six-figure range encouraged you to want to increase your income over time as well. 100%. But the first thing that I needed to tackle with my debt was the fact that I had about 12 different loans. They had now ballooned. So there was all this interest that accrued and I wasn't making a lot of money at the time. And given the amount of money that I was making, plus the, the, the minimum balance, minimum payment balance due on all my loans, I just was not able to hit that principle. So I had to refinance. This was back in 2011. So there were basically no options to refinance student debt. And I was trying to figure things out. And so I talk about that drive like to find new jobs and make more money. I, the first thing that I was doing before the job stuff was how could I refinance my loans and get this under control? So I was calling banks at that time to try to see if anyone would lend me money to refinance my student loans. I found one bank in Connecticut, Darian Rowayton Bank. So I was like Google searching, I'm looking, I was doing a clerkship in Connecticut, came across this bank, and they were refinancing student debt. They were just starting this program. SoFi was not even out yet. 
that wasn't even, they didn't start as a company yet. So DRB, which is now Laurel Road, refinanced my loans. It might've been like a seven or 8% rate among 12 loans. So now we got it down to one loan, one rate. It might've been like 6%. And because it was a private loan, it was the payment amount was all, it was, there was an amortization schedule. So I could see, here's how much I'm paying every month. Here's what is hitting the principal. Here's what's hitting the interest. And for the first time in my life, I actually started to see my balance going down. It was still really slow, but that was a huge moment. And I continued to search for refi options. Same way I continued to search for jobs and to make more money. I was always looking for a way to lower my interest rates because I knew that would save me money over time. When you do the going from the federal loans to private loans, there are some things that can be affected, right? And I know that's probably important to talk about. Was these being in private loan hands during the three-year pause, did that affect things during your payoff process or had you already paid them off before then? My loans will be paid off this April. So they're not fully paid off. I've paid off over $200,000 of my student loans, that's, right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm almost, I'm like three payments away. I just made a payment four of four of four. I got three of four coming up. Oh, congratulations, man. That's great. That's got to feel good. Thank you. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. The house will be the next thing. There you go. There <laughs> you go. I, I love in it. Your, in your wheelhouse. <laughs> so, okay, let's just first tackle the federal to, to private. One of the reasons why I did the forbearance was not just because I didn't want to spend the money or, you know, because I, I like wanted to like, put these loans on pause and not face it. There was also this rumor, this was during the Obama administration, that he, he might do something around student debt relief. So I was like, I'm not, not going to pay these right now if there's going to be something that comes out where he's going to like wipe out the debt. We're hearing the same exact promises again. <laughs> I'm not getting into politics at all, but I'm just saying that for anybody who is banking on relief or anything, don't do it. It's, it's total... BS. Not gonna, just assume it's not going to happen. Now, people might also be thinking, well, what if it does happen? You know what? My point of view is let it happen. You got to run your own race. So I waited a little bit and there was some preferential treatment or whatever on something. I was able to consolidate some loans, didn't really do much of anything. And I said to myself, am I going to find a job where I make a lot of money and be able to pay these things off faster? Or should I go the public service route or the loan forgiveness route, income contingent repayment plan, and just wait it out. And I did not want to wait on the federal government to potentially for, to have me get there 10, 15 years down the road and say like, you know what, <laughs> you, you screwed up the paperwork somewhere, right? So I just said, I am a lawyer. I'm going to go into private practice. I'm going to make money. And so I'm going to go the route of private student loans where I gave up the ability to, I mean, the COVID pause would have, I would have had a, I wouldn't have had interest accruing at that time. I could have potentially made more headway on my loans. And I lost protections like the ability to take a forbearance, which as I've already explained, not a great thing to do financially. But if you're really in a tight spot, you can at least do that. You have that as an option. And then also the income contingency options as well, where you're basing your payments on however much you're making. I lost all of that but it was a calculated risk. What was your last refinance to? What rate did you get by going private? 
2.35%. It's something ridiculous. Yeah. And that's still the rate that you have today then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm really against variable rate loans. Those were an option. My point of view is I'd rather go to bed at night knowing what I'm going to pay the next morning or, or that month. So Federal rates, I don't know if you follow it right now. Federal rates, if you were to have kept them as is, what are they running now? Is it like still 6 7%, something like that? Yeah, they vary depending on the loan, but it's anywhere from 5 to 8%. Besides increasing your income, looking for ways to refinance to get the rate down, anything that you did personally or at home with budgeting or saving money during this process in order to, I guess, pay it off quicker? One thing that I want to just mention before the, the budgeting and that kind of stuff was I actually did prioritize the credit card debt first. So I was doing all this stuff to figure out how to refi the student loans, but the credit card interest was accruing so much. And I was just like, these have to go. So any extra money that I had was putting it, was putting it into the credit cards. I played the game of the balance transfers. Discover card gave me like a 0% interest offer. I was like, can I take them up on that for like six months and not pay interest on maybe not the whole balance, but if I could just do like $5,000, I'm going to be cutting down the interest on that $5,000. And if I pay it off in that six months, like I'll win. So I was playing that game. And that was super helpful to get rid of the credit cards. So there is the budgeting and all that stuff, but that's one way you can be strategic in terms of paying off credit cards. But, but yes, I don't, I don't think I was like hardcore budgeting in terms of here's the amount of money I have coming in. Here's what I should be spending in all these categories. I was also fortunate. I was living at home for a little bit. So having, you know, mama's home, home cooked meals, which was great. Right. So the thing that I cared about was, how could I meet my expenses and do the things I want to do without overdrawing in my checking account? So I started by putting together a ledger, which I think is super helpful for anybody getting started. And it was just a simple spreadsheet where I had on the left side, all of my expenses. I had my income as well. So it would basically add up the income, subtract out the expenses, and it would have a running tally of my bank, my checking account balance. And so if I spent a little bit extra in January, it's deducting that from the running total. I could see by September, like my checking account goes red. So I cannot, I, I cannot spend more next month. I have to spend, underspend what I'm allocating to my credit card or to whatever, because I'm just going to overdraw in the future or I need to make some more money or do something. So I, so I did, I did that. I was also kind of doing like some ad hoc side hustles here and there, flipping sneakers, tickets, you know, what, stuff like that, eBay stuff, just to bring in some extra, extra dough. And then working on increasing my income, trying to find new jobs to, to take a bump up. Now, when you got married to your wife, did this become a team effort or did she say, hey man, you, you got all those loans yourself. Good luck on those. So... I told her early on about the debt. Like I, that's, it, it was something super significant. She knew I went to law school. I just, I wasn't anything I was ashamed about or that I was embarrassed to talk about. She, she knew it. And I don't think there was ever a point where I was like angling towards, you know, marrying her and be like, hey, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're doing this together now, <laughs> you know, for better or worse, richer or poorer, like, thanks. Thanks for inheriting some loans. 
I, I always was like, this is my responsibility. I'm going to do this. The other thing was that as a lawyer, I made more money than her, you know? And so when we were dating, we kind of like split some stuff here and there. She pitched in financially, but I was kind of paying for most of the stuff. And then once we got married, we combined everything. And again, I was making more money. So our money was just going towards towards the debt, you know? It wasn't like a, uh, there wasn't anything too crazy going on there. Now, you said you are one payment away now from paying off? Three, three payments away. So you're three payments away from paying off over $200,000 of student loans. You're looking forward to, obviously, that final payment. How will life be different for you when you're not making these student loan payments anymore? I'll have an extra $2,015 and some odd cents every month. Wow. What are you going to do with $2,000 extra per month? I'm going to go nuts. I'm going to start. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to change my whole lifestyle. <laughs> Look, I have two little kids. And I obviously believe in spending on myself and, and, and my wife. My wife just had a girls weekend with, her, with some of her best friends. And they rented a hotel room and they did all this stuff. And like that kind of spending on ourselves to do things that we find fun and enjoyable super important. But I think for me, the thing that I care about, my North Star is my family. And so I'm looking down the road at affording school. We've got a baby coming in March. How, you know, how do I want to be strategic with that money? Do we want to get some help around the house too, right? Maybe someone to come in in the afternoons, help with the kids. So that to me, not much is going to, I know this is like anticlimactic, but like not much is going to change for me. And that money is going to just probably either get invested or go into a high yield savings so I can build up my cash or just add more to my retirement. You mentioned your dad and you got another one on the way. Congratulations. As we're having this conversation about student loans and college, you know, there's a lot of conversations about generational wealth and is college worth it? What would you say to that conversation right now, having gone through what you've gone through with your student loans and your career? What are your plans for your children for college in the future? This is a really good question. You and I, we could probably have a long conversation about this. (laughs) My plans are, I I assume my kids will go to college. So I'm saving for college. I'm putting money away in a 529. I put 150 bucks per month per kid in that, which come March will be, you know, another $150. Any, you know, grandparent gifts or anything to get, I put it into that fund. And then I also, Florida has a prepaid tuition program. So I'm doing that for the kids, which is like two, three hundred dollars a month. So all in, let's just say it's like four fifty a month per kid in education savings, which I think is pretty reasonable. Might need to be doing more. I don't know how much college will cost, but I'm assuming they're going to go to college. Now, is it worth it? Will it be worth it in sixteen years from now, or my son's six, so twelve years from now? That's weird to think. 12 years sounds like nothing, right? Like COVID was four years ago and that feels like yesterday. Yes. I don't know. I I mean, with like, with technology, I I don't know if it will be worth it, but I do think that if you want to be a professional, like, like a lawyer, a doctor, those are on the higher end of the income threshold. But if you want to be a teacher, like you need to get educated for that kind of stuff. So that's where it comes into play. We will see. I'm preparing for it, at the very least. 
we're doing the same thing in our house. We don't know what our kids' interests will be when they're you know, getting closer to that college age. But we like the 529, the flexibility, because they can go to trade school if they want to with that money. They can, you know, it could be utilized for the other sibling if it doesn't work out with one of them. They even have with the Secure 2.0 Act that you can transfer some of it to a Roth IRA in the future for them too. So I think the flexibility is getting there, which makes it feel a little bit worth it. But yeah, who knows? Nobody knows what's going to happen in 10 years, man. Now there's somebody listening to your story and they heard the the title of the multi-hundred thousand dollars of student loans. And you at one point, you said you had 12 different loans. And this probably felt overwhelming. So the person's listening right now, maybe in a similar situation, they're feeling very overwhelmed with the amount of student loans they have. Maybe they went and got a professional degree like you did or or worked on that. What is one piece of advice that you could provide them based on the situation they're in right now? I would tell them to do two things right now. Number one is to get organized. You have to write down on a piece of paper all of your loans in one place. The the principal amount, the payment date, minimum payment amount, the interest rate, just literally have that on a piece of paper in one place where you can see everything. How much is this costing you per month? There are simple calculators online. I've created a calculator where you can plug it all in and see how long it will take you to pay off your debt and how much it's going to cost. And from there, you need to build a simple plan. Is your plan to pay the minimum every month? Because if it is, you can see your future right then and there. You can see the exact date you're going to pay this off when by just making the minimum payments. And if you want to pay it off faster, you can add more money every month. So get organized, put together a simple plan that shows you your future. You can predict it with the numbers and it's going to set you on the path to figure out how might you speed this up? Because I imagine that when you see that, you're going to look at the interest and say, damn, I do not want to be paying that much for this long. This can last for a long time if you don't take a look at it. That could be something that you'll deal with in your 60s and would get maybe, if it's still federal, would get uh, garnished from your social security uh, and on and on and on. Deal with it, take a look at it, and then get inspired by great stories like Ian's today. Ian, you talked about a calculator. You talked about other resources that you have. Please tell us where people can connect with you and maybe some where those resources are. Instagram is the best place to connect with me at Ian Builds Wealth. I've got a free budget and spending analysis tool in my bio. And then I also connect with people through the Debt Busters Academy. It's my community, live coaching calls every other week. We have live lectures from industry professionals every month, a whole suite of course materials and education materials. I practice what I preach. I'm in there doing it live with people. And to me, that's, that's an incredibly fun thing. It keeps it all top of mind for me, which I think if you are focused on money and paying off debt, it's got to be part of your life. It doesn't have to be all consuming, but it's just got to be something that you care about. Again, you can find me on Instagram. That's the easiest place at Ian Builds Wealth. When you're going through a big challenge like this, community definitely helps. And that's what Ian's providing. So Ian, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's a great conversation. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask a quick favor of you. 
please share your favorite Marriage, Kids, and Money content on social media and tag your friend Andy at Marriage, Kids, and Money on Instagram and Facebook or at Andy Hill MKM on LinkedIn. To encourage you to share your favorite content, podcast episode, blog post, video, anything that we're putting out there, we're giving away free books from past podcast guests to one random person who shares our stuff. This quarter, we're giving away The Good Enough Job, Reclaiming Life from Work by Simone Stolzoff, A Healthy State of Panic by Farnoosh Torabi, and Everybody Fights, So Why Not Get Better at It by Kim and Penn Holderness. And speaking of promoting positive work and sharing good news, I found this good news story from the Good News Network recently, and it's entitled, Social Media Goes Crazy for Customer Who Went Above and Beyond to Mail a $20 Tip. And to help me read the article and share the good word once again, I'm happy to be joined by my son, Calvin Hill. Welcome back to the show, Calvin. Hello. Good to see you, man. Nikki. Michi to you too. Michi. Michi. You just finished some soccer. How'd that go? Good. It went good. What other sports are you into right now? Football. Football. Yeah. Tell people about what you're playing, uh, like the type of football you're playing. Um, so I'm on like not a team, but it's like a team for practicing. Mm-hmm. And like we do drills and then a scrimmage. Scrimmage, yeah. And then you guys tackle each other? No, we no. pull flags. Pull flags. Yeah, that's good for your age. But uh, maybe when you get older, you're going to join another team. <laughs> and then if you want to play when you're older, that'll be something we'll have to talk about as a family. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, no, you're really liking football right now. Why? Because it's fun to watch the, or it was fun to watch the <laughs> Lions. <laughs> I hate 49 I know, I know. I'm sorry to the I mean, we've got a lot of California fans that listen to the show, so we're sorry, California fans, but it was a heartbreak for us. Anyway, let's talk about good news instead of bad news, right? Yeah. Let's jump into this awesome story. hate the 49ers. (laughs) Go ahead. Side Street Poor House and Grill in North Carolina went viral on social media with the story of a customer who went above and beyond and sure his server, Hope, Received the tip intended. The letter written by Ted details that he had come in in the final days of 2023 to dine at the restaurant with his wife, and that days later, he realized an error had been made. When he was taking a look at his bank statement, he noticed the total charged to his Visa card from Side Street was lower than it should have been. Going through his receipts, he found that instead of the customer copy, he had taken the signed merchant's copy. A merchant copy is a copy of the receipt that includes an area to write down a tip amount and sign off of it. Without it, the restaurant had no way of knowing whether Ted intended to leave a tip to hope or not. We are loving this letter so much. It's a beautiful example of how to do the right thing. The restaurant wrote on Facebook after Ted mailed a crisp $20 bill to ensure his reputation and Hope's earnings sheet were corrected. That was no way for either of us to end 2023. Here's to a fresh start, Ted wrote in his letter. Perfect example of an absolute class act. One commenter wrote on Facebook where the post was shared 6,000 times 
amid 140,000 interactions. I wish world was full of this. We'd all be so much better off. Thank you, Ted. Isn't that cool, buddy? Let me show you a picture of the letter here. So Ted wrote this letter, and then he sent in the crisp $20 bill to make sure that Hope, the uh, waitress, got her tip when she needed to. Wasn't that cool? Yeah. What do you think about Ted? He's nice. He's nice. Now, if we went to a restaurant and we forgot to give a tip, would you just like maybe go to the car and be like, eh, whatever, you know? They make enough money, or what would you do? I would give them the tip and say, I forgot to give this to That's you. That's very kind of you. Do you know some waiters and waitresses, they make less than minimum wage sometimes? Like, if let's say the minimum wage, I don't know what it is in our state, maybe $10 an hour, something like that. Sometimes they make less than that because they think they're going to get tips. Now, if they don't get those tips, then they end up making less than minimum wage. So it's very important for us to make sure we give tips, right? And it's a nice thing to do. It's a nice way to say thank you. Yeah. Now, something happened to, to you the other day when you found some money on the playground. Can you tell people about that? Yes. Yeah, so I was at recess. There was a dollar just randomly sitting on the ground, and I picked it up, and I told a teacher for what I should do. And then she said to tell my teacher. And then my teacher said I could keep it. Or if someone claims it, then they should have it. I was very proud of you when I heard this story and you told me that. I think that's very cool. I mean, some kids, maybe even some adults, find a dollar on the ground. and You're like, hey, cool, dollar for me, right? I liked your first reaction thinking, oh, somebody might have dropped this dollar. Let's see how I can get it back to them. I think that was very cool of you, buddy. That's a very good reaction. You have a very kind, generous heart. I'm very proud of you. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Ted is a very kind man, and we want to celebrate him as the good word recipient this week. And I'm very proud of you for being a kind and generous boy as well. So with that, why don't we read the shout out of the month? And we're going to give away an awesome book to somebody who supported our content online. So since the last good word, we received two social shout outs online. Thank you very much for those two people. Can you, Calvin, ask the uh, googly googly Google to pick a number between one and two? Hey, Google, pick a number between one or two. Two. All right. Well, our second shout out came from our buddy Lawrence Delva Gonzalez, who said the best return on happiness with an exclamation point to an article that I had the chance to write about the top five money milestones that provide the best return on happiness. That was a lot of fun to write. So Florence, thank you so much for that shout out. And we're going to send you one of these awesome books. And I do have your information. So I'm just going to DM you on LinkedIn with my thanks. And hopefully one of these books you will enjoy. And we really appreciate your support and sharing our stuff out there. So thank you so much, Lawrence. If you want to share some MKM content out there, everybody, on social media, that way you can help us grow our family empowering show and share some good generosity like my my boy is uh, demonstrating out there. That would be great if you could tag us at Marriage Kids and Money on Instagram and Facebook or at Andy Hill MKM on LinkedIn. We would really appreciate it. And then we'd have a chance to shout you out on the show and give you one of these awesome books. So thank you for considering it. And Calvin, thank you so much for 
doing the good word with me once again. Welcome. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, my son Calvin is going to end the show with a quote today from Eleanor Roosevelt. It takes as much energy to wish as it does to plan. That's right, Calvin. Everybody, let's make a plan to create the family financial independence that we are looking for. Carpe Carpe diem. diem!